So 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 to 23. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Father God, we just pray a blessing on Peter now as he comes to share with us. Thank you for the time he has taken to prepare what he feels God has for us today through this passage. Pray that you give him the right words, help him know um, what to say, what not to say. And I just pray that you bless him abundantly as he um, talks to us this evening. Amen. And thank you, Grace, for what you said just now about, you know, bringing before God uh, the things on our minds. I just thought before I came up that we should just take a moment to pray for Israel and Palestine. Um, I have no idea what's supposed to happen, but let's just commit it to God. Lord, in your word, you teach us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and we ask for your mercy. We don't know what purposes there are behind this, but we ask that you would have mercy upon the Palestinians, upon the Israelis, upon people caught up in between from, from the children running from bombs in the streets to Christians being spat upon by the Wailing Wall. Would you have mercy and would you bring your restraining presence that this does not escalate to beyond well this just does not escalate we pray for healing amen right change your gear now to something a little bit lighter um so a number of years ago uh lynette woke me up on a monday morning and said the house is flooding uh, it's raining indoors uh, and, and I went to the bathroom and the, the, the hot water pipe under the sink had burst and it was gushing out at, at full pressure and um, it was kind of flooded the bathroom, went through the, the floor, through the ceiling into our office below. 200 books absorbed all that hot water and stuck to the wall. And um, it was just, so I raced to find the stopcock and it broke in my hand. <laughs> so I um, called the emergency plumber Thank you for calling our company. Your call is important to us. Please continue to hold. An operator will be with you shortly. Thank you for calling our company. <laughs> Please continue to hold. I thought, we're not getting ready. Eventually, I got through to someone who said, yes, no problem. I can get an operator out to you Wednesday. <laughs> it's, it's raining inside my house. Wednesday is 48 hours ahead. That's just not going to work. So um, after a few more goes, I gave up and called John from church. Now, John 
is not, um, next slide please, uh, is not actually a plumber. John is an astrophysicist. So um, his wife said, well, he's in the bath at the moment, but I'll kick him out and he'll be with you very shortly. And within 20 minutes, he was there and he kind of bumbled in, uh, fixed the problem. No, no worries. All the while telling me about how difficult it was to lubricate moving parts in space. John has actually worked on the lunar lander, so the Titan lander for the mission to Saturn. He's worked on various... Um, uh, um, satellites, he even props his kitchen door open with a bit of satellite. He's that kind of guy. And um, yeah, he just bumbled in and just sorted everything out and then went home. You see, John might be a astrophysicist. He's not a plumber. But for in our moment of need, we, John the astrophysicist became a plumber for us. And that's always kind of reminded me of just in a tiny way of what Jesus has come to do. Jesus, the, the creator of the universe, became for us a servant. And I'm sure that you know this uh, passage in, in Philippians chapter 2. Um, next one. Um, I don't know if you can read that. But although you know, we know this, this is actually one of the earliest Christian hymns. Some date it to the uh, late 30s in the first century probably about 10 years after Jesus died and rose again. And we know that he says in, um, that Jesus, though he, he was in, um, I'm trying to read it from here, did not consider equality of God something to be uh, used to his own advantage, but made himself nothing. And there's a word in the, in the original language, I won't go into it, but which is very simply the word to become and we kind of lose it in the English, but it simply just means to become. Jesus became a man. Jesus became a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And I've always seen a parallel between this passage and the passage which Grace read out to us just now. If you have a Bible with you or um, it's on your phone or something, I'll assume you're not checking emails. Um, and, uh, but it's also here, and um, I'll read it out again in the NIV just so that we can get that as well. Though I'm not free, though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Here's the first become. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. To win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. See, what Paul is talking about here is really what is talked about in Philippians chapter 2, the art of becoming, what we would call the incarnation. 
So I had to laugh when um, I looked at the schedule and, and uh, Tim had uh, put me down for speaking on three chapters from 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 8, 9 and 10, uh, in, a, in the deep end. But uh, you'll be very glad to know I'm not going to speak on all three, but they say context is king. So to understand one passage, you really need to read around and see what else is going on. Uh, and especially in uh, chapter like, or, or see, verses like this, where it can get a little complex they kind of go, what on earth is Paul talking about? But really, in a nutshell, these three chapters, 8, 9, and 10, are talking about Christian freedom and what do we do with it. So for, um, next slide, 2,000 years, Christians have, have struggled to get the balance between um, legalism on one side, um, having lots of rules and, uh, and kind of do's and don'ts, mostly don'ts, and what's called antinomianism on the other side. In other words, taking our freedom to the extent that we say we're free to do what we want, forgetting that we're free from sin, not to sin. About 50 years ago, when I was a baby, um, the church was struggling out of a legalistic phase. Uh, and uh, you know, Christians were kind of, we, we showed our distinctiveness by being the people who don't. We just don't. We don't uh, drink, we don't go to parties, we don't dance, don't wear bikinis, especially the men, uh, don't go to the cinema. And I'm very glad we've come a long way from there. However, we are more likely these days to fall into the opposite extreme uh, and express our freedom in terms of which actually suggests that holiness is not a priority. Uh, and back in Paul's day, there was a danger that the, the Corinthians, which the Corinthian church was, you know, some churches in the New Testament are more Jewish, others are more Gentile. I think um, the Corinthian church was a bit, bit more Gentile, largely a lot of people coming from pagan backgrounds. Uh, and they were they saying, great, we're free, but what did that freedom mean? Uh, and they were trying to kind of, well, they were struggling with that. So chapter 8 uh, the issue was not alcohol or going to the cinema, um, but food offered to idols. And as I say, a lot of them had come from a, a pagan background, or we might call it um, a secular background, or a, uh, a kind of lots of superstitions, lots of gods. And um, you might think, well, that's, what's that got to do with us? Because the whole thing was about uh, not eating food sacrificed to idols. Has anybody recently eaten food or been thought we might eat food sacrificed to idols? Well, it's not such a strange thing because, next slide. Um, next slide, please. Thank you. Um, our friend from Vietnam who became a Christian here, um, when she went back to Vietnam, the big issue for her, the immediate issue was she couldn't eat her mum's cooking. That's not that her mum was a bad cook or she got used to English food. It was actually that her mum would always, every evening, offer the family meal to the ancestors first and then the rest of the family would eat it. But although our friend could knew that the food had not changed by it being offered to the idols, it was still just food, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with the food itself, but doing that, eating that food in front of her parents, who in their minds thought it was an offering to the idols, she could not eat it because it would then convey the idea to her parents 
that she was still following the ancestral traditions. Moving on to um, 1 Corinthians 9, next slide. Um, Paul talks about his own freedoms. Uh, and here he's talking about his kind of basic employment rights as an employee of God, if I can put it that way. You know, he was saying that, that he is perfect, perfectly within his rights to have a salary for the work that he does of the gospel uh, to, to, to get married. And he's saying, actually I, actually, I don't access those rights because in the circumstances I find myself in, he says, the, the, it's actually better for the gospel that I don't do those things. See, in both chapters 8 and 9, Paul is really talking about the fact that we are free. You know, as Christians, we are so free. We're free from the, the things that bind people who, who don't know God. We're free also from lots of religious rules and, uh, and kind of structures and things. We, we have a huge amount of freedom. Um, but the question is, what do we use that freedom for? And I'll get to that. If you're kind of going, okay, this is getting a little bit out of my, my comfort zone, or I'm not quite sure what all this has to say with me, bear with me, it will make sense in a bit. But by chapter 10, Paul talks about the flip side, which is warning the Christians against using their freedom to indulge in sin. And basically saying, that our license is not to do whatever we please. We still need to obey. It's freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. Next slide. Right in the middle of these three chapters are these verses. Although it's one of kind of Paul's long convoluted sentences, it, it is really the summary of those three chapters. So I'm going to go through this Fairly quickly, a stage at a time, because Paul is talking about four separate groups of people, and they all have something to say to us. And so the first one, next slide, in verse 19, Paul starts with his bottom line, I am free, I am not a slave. But he says, there are times when voluntarily and temporally, I restrict my own freedoms for the benefit of others, for the gospel. He's found this incredible gospel which changes people's lives. And he's saying that that is most important. My freedoms are less important. And Paul says that his main aim in life at every point is the gospel, the kingdom of God. Whatever he does, Paul says, I want to live for the sake of winning the lost communicating that gospel of peace and freedom. In other words, the kingdom of God first, my rights, my choices, second. So firstly, he talks about to the Jews. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. Paul is Jewish. He has not forgotten that he is Jewish. But he's saying that when he goes home, so to speak, he goes back into Jewish society, he... he becomes like them again. He wears Jewish clothes, tells Jewish jokes, he speaks in Jewish way, he, he eats Jewish food. Now, my wife Lynette is Singaporean, she's not British, she doesn't have a British passport, but she's pretty adaptable. Don't let the fact that Lynette can adapt to uh, British culture 
fool you into thinking that she is somehow westernized. She's adaptable, yes, but when she goes home to Singapore, she needs to readapt back into her Singlish way of talking uh, and her taste of food and mannerisms, everything. If she doesn't, her family, well, they are Christians, but if they were not, they might think, as some people do, that somehow living in the West and, and, and being a Christian is part of being westernized. She needs to demonstrate, or she would need to demonstrate, that that is not true. That you can be a Singaporean Christian, a Chinese Christian, a Malay Christian, an English Christian, a Zimbabwean Christian, a Shona Christian, whatever. For me, I don't come from Singapore, I come from Cheshire. <laughs> but my family are really not Christians. And I, I find it hard to adapt back into their kind of way of living, what they think, what, what's important to them, how they talk. And I think that sometimes they see us as kind of being the funny born again people. And they don't always relate to what we do. And in some ways I think that it's important for me to work at relating back to them. And I wonder what it means for you to, for some of you, to go home, to go back to your family to go back to your friends from school, or uh, if you are resident here, maybe adapting to your grown-up children's lives. How do we adapt to people who we are supposed to be connected with, our own culture? Are the things that we need to do to work a little bit harder to connect back with them? It's not easy. Even Jesus found it hard. Then in verse 20, he talks about those under the law. Now, Paul is making an overlapping point here. So to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. That is a, um, a statement about culture and ethnic identity. To those under the law, he's talking about a religious identity. He's saying that when I'm with people who live by a strict religious code of do's and don'ts, I, I, he says, I know I'm, I don't have to. I know I'm free, but when I'm with them, I will adapt to their way temporarily, voluntarily, so that I don't cause offense and so that the gospel can be communicated. They can see Jesus in me. Sometimes we want people to see Jesus in us or hear uh, uh, Jesus' words, but all they hear is a noise coming from, from us. Let me give you an example. Some years ago, uh, we were running an outreach to international students in Oxford uh, to, in the summer. It was an outreach to, mostly to language school students. And um, I were doing some training with a team, mostly uh, students and new graduates. And I said, guys, at the end of the session, could you make sure that your Bibles are not on the floor? Uh, because I'm going to be doing a Bible study with a guy from a Muslim background in this room. It looks at me a bit blankly. So I said... Well, you know, in Islam, the, the Quran is very revered, and people never put it on the floor. They always put it on a shelf and high up. Um, so if he comes into this room and sees uh, your Bibles on the floor, like now, then he might think that the Bible's not worth him studying. And one girl said, but it is my right. She said, I'm free as a Christian to put my Bible on the floor. Uh, and... Also, she said, if I don't put my Bible on the floor because I'm afraid of what somebody from another religion thinks, 
then I'm compromising my Christian freedoms for somebody else's religion, and that's not right, she said. That was Paul's point. He was saying, yes, we are free to put our Bibles on the floor. Yes, we are free to drink alcohol in moderation or, or to eat pork or, or do whatever. But if doing those things is going to create a barrier between us and somebody receiving Jesus so they can't hear Jesus through our words because all they're thinking about is what we're doing to offend them, then that is not loving. I am free to set aside my freedoms. The next one is to those under the law. Sorry, those not under the law. Next slide, thank you. So in verse 21, Paul flips this around and talks about those not under the law. He's talking about pagans, for want of a better word. In our society, we would say people who were not from a particular religion, or certainly not from um, one of the Abrahamic religions. People who don't live with an obvious strict religious code and Paul is saying that when I'm with them I adapt but not completely because here is his second caveat but I'm not free from God's law but I'm under Christ's law in other words when I'm with people who don't live in a strict kind of religious setting I drop the Christian language I adapt to the way that what they're doing I try as far as possible to meet them in there where they are but I don't compromise Christian obedience it's a young couple who uh, are good friends of ours um, uh, they love dancing and um, before they had uh, babies they would sometimes go to a nightclub and pretty much dance the night away with their friends some of whom were non-Christians and they would just conspicuously drink water or coke the whole night. And because of the way that they were as a couple, they are as a couple, their great relationship with each other, a great relationship with their friends, they could be there in that situation um, to connect with their friends. Their friends may never come to church, but they went to them. But because they were not willing to compromise their standards and, to, and live and lived conspicuously in a godly way, People could hear Jesus through them. Now, that's not for everyone. Some of us would prefer to go to bed early with a book. And some of us wouldn't handle that. For, for others of us, perhaps that's too much temptation. But what is it that we can do to meet people where they are rather than expect them to meet us where we are? The final category is... To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. And I think what Paul is referring to here is what he said right back in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 27. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world, the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are. I once made a kind of throwaway comment in church uh, about us not being very rich, as in, uh, so Lynette and I have worked for a Christian organization for 23 years, and we live on income which is uh, kind of linked to uh, a starting teacher salary. When our daughter started teaching, we realized how little that was. So I said, uh, so, oh, we're not very wealthy, you know, we don't have... 
And, and she said very kindly, but you have choices, Peter. If you have enough money and resources to have choices, then by definition, in the world's eyes, you are rich. And she was right. I don't have a private yacht yet, but I do have choices. And when Paul was talking about the weak, he was talking about people who have no choices, or very few. People who are slaves, who have no choice at all. In our day, though, we've got modern-day slaves. We've also got people who are asylum seekers, who have lost everything, who have very few choices in life, and there are people around us who have, uh, who just simply have, with, are without the money, the status, or the power of choice that most of us take for granted. Some people do feel very much that they want to cry when they listen to my talks. <laughs> Bless you guys, don't worry. Um, so next, next, next slide. See, all of this demonstrates that the freedom that we have as Christians to adapt to our environment is, means that, that, that we've got a fantastic thing to offer people. But we have to offer it in some ways on their terms. So in the past, Christians have kind of built our own subcultures with our own habits, music, language, way of socializing, which is really utterly alien to a lot of people. Next slide. But if we can stand back for a moment and have a look at really what all this is about. If you've followed me so far, I don't mean to insult your intelligence, but it is quite one of those kind of very fiddly uh, uh, passages. But the overall point, the take-home idea is very, very simple. What am I living for? How am I using what I have? How am I investing my time, my money, my career, my relationships, my choices? Am I thinking about my rights or am I thinking about what other people need? Next slide. See, the thing that probably the biggest challenge to us in this country is that we are very comfortable. Nothing wrong in being comfortable. We recently moved from Oxford to Bath, from one comfortable city to another. We didn't move from Oxford to Darfur or to Afghanistan. You know, there's nothing wrong in being comfortable. There's nothing wrong in having money. Some of us do quite a bit. There's nothing wrong in going on nice holidays. There's nothing wrong in having friends and family and hobbies and pets and gardens and all the rest of it. But our affluence gives us so much choice that we forget that a lot of people don't live like that. Even as students, it may be living on a student loan, but we have a lot of choices of what to do with our time and our money. But what about the billions of people who are heading for a Christless eternity? What about people who are very close to us, who are desperately hungry? There are billions of people in the world who are desperately hungry, not just for physical food to fill their stomachs, but hungry for the word of God. There are people who are desperately thirsty not just for clean water that they can drink without making them sick, 
but for the presence of the living God. And there are people every day that we meet or we don't quite meet who don't know enough about Jesus to make an informed decision about him and probably the only chance they will have to talk to a Christian who knows and lives the Christian life is us. Next slide. So when Paul says in verse 22, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some, Paul has not forgotten that he is not the Holy Spirit. He has not forgotten that he, Paul, is, can't, he can't convert anyone. He knows it's God's power. He knows it's God's sovereignty. But he is talking about his responsibilities, what he must do. And, you know, we can't all do everything. But as someone once said to me, belief in the sovereignty of God is no excuse for lazy thinking. In other words, I think that it, 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 the way that love is supposed to work out in our lives is that we're supposed to think about people who are different from us and, and see what we can do to, to connect with them. As we lay down our lives our time, our comforts, our habits and freedoms, we will find that the Holy Spirit demonstrates his power. My needs second, your needs first. It's the art of becoming. Paul then says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessing. So this is not all kind of, uh, kind of grim sacrifice. He knows that if he puts the gospel first in his life, he's going to be hugely blessed. In other words, if I live focused on my needs and my desires and my comforts and my freedoms and my rights, I'm going to miss out. But if I offer to God the very way I live in every circumstance, can't think of anything more exciting. This gospel is so powerful, it changes the lives of anyone and everyone. And I want to be part of that. I want to be part of seeing men and women, boys and girls, transformed by the gospel of Jesus. So who do you know who needs Jesus right now? Who so far has, that you know about, who has never really known that there is a God who loves them? Who has, doesn't have enough information about Jesus to make a decision one way or the other? What barriers are there between yourself and them? Are these barriers that we have simply assumed are there? Because we think, look at them, you know, whether it's a, a young mum who, whose kids go to the same school as yours or somebody on your, uh, on your course, or a neighbor, or a family member, or maybe not family member, but when you look at them, you think, well, they, they wouldn't be interested in talking to me. But that assumption means that probably what's happening is that they are thinking, well, that Christian isn't interested in talking to me. Barney. Can I borrow you? Hmm. Well, that's all right. Because um, uh, I just want to, I've got some things I would like to give you. Is that all right? 
Yeah, I was going to go for Mirren, but it's her first time. So, um, so first of all, I was actually going to give you my phone. There you go. I'll unlock it for you later. Um, then, what have I got? Oh. Uh, keys to my house uh, and my car. Car's outside. Okay. Um, <laughs> I used to do this with a blank check, and, and, and the guys didn't actually know what a check was, so I had to start. Um, so there's my uh, credit card. Um, oh, very important, my go outdoors card. There you go. Uh, my uh, debit card, driving license, um, and of course, somewhere, yes, my donor card. You can have my organs as well. There you go. And just in case you're thinking it won't work, these are genuinely my PIN numbers and passwords. Mirren, don't let him open these. <laughs> okay? You can sit down for a moment. Keep an eye on him. What have I just done? You may be thinking, what have you just done? What have I just done? I have given Barney my resources. Access to everything that I have. You may be thinking, stupid guy. Why would I do that? Well, we wouldn't, would we, would we normally? Uh, we'd only do that to somebody that we absolutely trusted, beyond any shadow of a doubt, to someone that we know for certain has our best interest at heart and has the right to take as much or, much or as little from us as they want. And there's really only one person in this universe who fits that criteria, and it's not Barney. Jesus has already done that for us. God has given his son, he has given us the blank check. He has given us his pin number. He's given us everything and said, I've invested everything I am and have in you. How are you going to use it? Are you just going to go, thanks very much, and walk off? Or are we going to invest what we have and am and are in making sure that others find Jesus too? I want to end with a prayer. And um, um, are we having more songs? Okay. So I just pray this with you. I'll leave this with you. And I'll go and sit down and hand back over to Grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ. Free from sin, not to sin. Thank you that you give us so much to enjoy in this world. All the money, time, relationships and opportunities. Forgive us when we become so attached to our rights and freedoms that we forget to serve others. We end up serving mainly ourselves. But out of love for you, I put all I am and have in your hands. Use me to reach out in love to those who don't know you, both those who are like me and those who are very different from me. I may not be able to be all things to all people, but help me start by being some things to a few people, and they may see Jesus 
and know him through me.